The reading this morning is from 1 John, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Thank you very much, Richard. Triple duty uh, for you today. Appreciate uh, your time in preparing for us. Do keep that uh, passage open in front of you, as we'll be referring to it as we go through this morning. We started up, uh, off this series in 1 John uh, last week. We had a bit of an introduction to this, uh, this book, and uh, we're going to uh, go right back to the beginning of it today and uh, look at it and see what it has to say uh, to us this morning. Let me just lead us in prayer before we do so. Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who does not lie, that you are a God who always tells the truth. And we thank you that we have that truth recorded in our Bibles before us this morning. Please give us attentiveness uh, to us and speak to us that which we need to hear for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, last week I said that when you come to church, uh, you may not hear the truth. We shouldn't assume that when we come into a church that that everything that's said is going to be uh, true. It's obviously a a fairly shocking thing to say, but am I justified in in saying that, I wonder? Maybe Maybe you think I'm exaggerating a bit or overstating it. Well, let me just have a little bit of a, a survey just to, to see. Stick your hand up. Um, if uh, you have been involved in a church split of some kind over the years, keep your hands up and, and, and add your hands if, uh, you know, if you've got a friend who's been involved in a, in a church split. So maybe not you, but, but a friend. And... Um, then add your hands if, if a friend has ever come to you and said, um, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking maybe I might leave my church because something that's been said in the pulpit. It's very sad and sobering, isn't it? Just take a look around, those who've got their hands up. That's virtually all of us. And there'll be a few people here today who are, who are new to Christian things. It'll be your first, perhaps one of your first experiences of walking uh, into a church. And I've just told you, Uh, that you might be told lies. There is a high probability that if you're in or around a church for any period of time, that that at some point you're going to have to deal with untruth. And it usually, not always, but it usually involves big personalities, charismatic uh, people who are making claims to the truth, and you're left asking, who do I believe? 
Should I believe what they say or should I believe what the other people are saying? What's the truth here? Well, welcome back to the world of one John. Because John is writing to a group of people, a church, a congregation. And uh, there are a group of people who have departed that congregation, the leavers. They've departed, they've left. They are familiar faces and they are making confident claims. They're spurious, but confident claims to a superior spirituality. And John is writing to deconstruct and to dismantle uh, them and their their teaching, to to unmask them and to show them uh, what they are, for what they are. But he's also writing primarily to to reassure the remainers, those people who have been left behind. And John starts by saying, Dear Church, I'm really sorry to hear about all of these people who have recently left your church. Don't be shaken up or unsettled. Except John doesn't start that way, does he? That's not what uh, Richard read to us a minute ago. He says, Dear Church... This is how he starts. Dear church, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. That's how he starts. Look down again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared And he repeats it at the end of verse 2. The eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us. That's the first main thing that John wants to say to us this morning, that the life appeared. What has appeared? Well, he tells it in different ways, doesn't he? I wonder if you saw that. It's the life that's, that's appeared. It is the word of life that's appeared. It is the eternal life that has appeared That which was with the Father, says John, has appeared. So it's not a what that he's talking about that has appeared, but it is a who. And he doesn't say a life or life in general has appeared, but he says the life has appeared. He appeared. Now, I was out walking on the Banstead Downs uh, earlier uh, this, this week and sort of battling my way through all the, the, the brambles and, and the nettles, uh, life sort of everywhere. I took a seat sort of halfway uh, through the walk and uh, I looked down and um, as I did so, a little woodlouse um, scuttled past, if that's what woodlice do, and, and an ant. Um, they were obviously off somewhere. I didn't ask them where they were going. But... I looked to my right, and then there were some there was these beautiful thistles with these butterflies flying around them, and in front of me, more brambles and the sort of these tall grasses. There was a bird of of prey up up there at one point as well, and I went. I saw some horses at, at one point, and there were trees, literally trees, you know, everywhere, wherever you looked. So so many trees, and there was just I was just struck by how much life there was. Just so much life everywhere, wherever you looked. But that's not what John is talking about. John is saying 
the life appeared. The one from whom all life is derived and depends. Now, it's true that I have a slightly melancholy disposition, but as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, all of this life is, is going to fade and disappear at some point, including me. But John says that the one who is life, who not has, but is eternal life, appeared. And it is an astonishing claim that he's making, that in history, this one appeared. In what way did he appear? As an idea? As a vision or a a phantom or a ghost? No. John wants us to be absolutely crystal clear that the life appeared physically in the flesh as a person in history. Notice the language that he uses in these verses. We heard, we have seen, we looked at him, we've touched him there in verse 1. Or verse 2, he appeared, we've seen him, he appeared. And then again in verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. It is an avalanche of sensory language that's going on here. He's describing a a very physical encounter. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, you you might have picked up allusions to uh, the the first chapter of John, uh, John's gospel, not his letter that we're in here. And and you might have picked up allusions to John chapter 20. You remember when when the risen Jesus appears uh, to Thomas. And uh, there are some links here. Let me just read that passage to you, and you'll, you'll see this sensory language. So Thomas, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first came. So the other t- disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nail marks were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. You see, if God is invisible, how on earth are you going to know him? But what if he turns up in the flesh? What if you can look into his eyes and see his eye color? What if you can take him by the hand and shake it? What if you can listen to him and hear the intonation in his voice, the creator, the life? And of course, that is exactly the Christian claim. And it is so reassuring that this is the basis of our faith. We Christians don't believe in an idea or a 
philosophical principle. We believe in a real person who turned up, God turned up in the flesh. The life appeared on earth. Which begs the question, how can we be sure of that? It's a big claim to make, but how can we be sure to whom did he appear? And that brings us on to uh, the second point that John wants to make, the life proclaimed. Because the life did not appear to all people. Jesus did not appear to all people, not even to all of John's readers. But John is making a very specific claim that the life appeared to him and to the other apostles, the other first disciples. Let me read it to you again and listen out for the we's and the hours and the you's. That which was from the beginning, which we, that is we apostles, have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you, that's John's readers, the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us, apostles. Okay, do you see? It's it's so emphasized here that he's saying the we and the hour refers to the apostles. The you refers to John's readers, whom he mentions again in verse 3. He is saying the life appeared... We apostles have seen the life and we apostles proclaim that life to you. Now, of course, John's not making the sort of nonsense claim that no one else saw Jesus. Of course, when he was walking around, plenty of people saw Jesus. In fact, plenty of people saw Jesus um, risen. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul says that at one point over 500 people saw the risen Jesus at the same time. So he's, uh, he's not claiming that no one else ever saw Jesus. That would be nonsense. nonsense. But what he is claiming, that Jesus appeared in a very purposeful way to the apostles. That he was with them, or they were with him from the beginning, in order that they might testify And that's the word that's there in in verse 2, if you have a look down at that word, so that they might testify. And the reason why I want you to look at that particular word is it's a legal term. It's um, a technical term. It is the term that uh, you would use uh, of somebody going to defend somebody in court and to, to testify on their behalf. Now, I've mentioned that there's quite a few links with John's gospel in John's letter here. I mentioned John chapter 1 and John chapter 20. One of the links which was new to me as I was uh, studying it, and you may not have spotted it yourself, is the link with John chapter 15. And this is really important 
Because this language of testifying turns up all over the place in John's gospel. So you have John the Baptist testifying, you have the Father testifying, you have Jesus uh, testifying, and you have the Holy Spirit testifying. And that's what you get in John chapter 15, verse 26, the Holy Spirit testifying. But you get a little bit, else, a little bit extra as well. Listen to this. When the Advocate come, it's another name for the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he, says Jesus, will testify about me. And here's the important point, verse 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. See, we're accustomed to think of the work of Jesus um, to, with regard to his, his life and his death and his resurrection. But of course, that wasn't the end of the work of Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven and he poured out the Spirit who then empowered the apostles to testify on his behalf. In other words, the Spirit was given to the apostles so that they could be the authenticated, authentic witnesses testifying to Jesus Christ. And that is why John says here, we proclaim, verse 1, we proclaim, verse 2, we proclaim, verse 3, because he is saying we are the authentic legal representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why on earth does he want to press this in so strongly? I mean, is he trying to sort of establish himself on a, a hierarchy of dominance or something like that? Is he, is he really just sort of saying, look at me? Well, no. The reason why he wants to really rub this in is because he knows that there are these other voices. And these other voices are saying, if you really want to know God, then you need to listen to us. We're the ones with the truth. We're the spiritual ones. If you really want to know God, listen to us. And John knows this. Now, one of our big problems over the uh, last 18 months or, or, or so is, is just working out who to listen to. I mean, who do we really listen to? Who's got the, the data? But, but not only who's got the data, who's got the right interpretation of the data? Who are the real experts here? Well, John is saying, we've got the data. We were the eyewitnesses. We were the ear witnesses. We touched him. We were with him from the beginning. And he gave us the spirit. And so we are the people who are the legal representatives. Listen to us. Not only have we got the data, but we have got the right interpretation of the data. We know who Jesus is and we know that Je why Jesus came to make atonement for the sins of all who will trust in him. And of course this claim is is given because he's aware of these other people making these competing claims. 
And he's saying, don't listen to them because this is of eternal importance that you get this right. We're talking about your eternal destiny here. You really need to get this right, guys. Because what we're talking about is not only that the life appeared and was proclaimed, but thirdly, that this life can be enjoyed. The life enjoyed. We all know the world's perishing. You know it and I know it. And so the big question is, if there is this eternal life, if the eternal life actually appeared, how on earth do we have access to him? How can we access God? Well, the departed, they're saying, well, you access God, like so many today actually, you, you access God individually. You have this spiritual experience, this immediate experience of God. It's kind of unmediated. It comes uh, to you through various uh, techniques. Or, or I remember as a, as a young Christian uh, being left with a distinct impression that if, that if I really wanted to know God, the way I would know him is through some magnificent worship service or through some magnificent experience of some kind. And there are people who claim that they're in the know today and they say, well, if you really want to know God, and and by the way, they're always nice people. They say, if you really want to know God, well, you need to come along to to this and, and get this instruction. You need to come along to this school of supernatural ministry or whatever. And of course, whatever it is, it's a great distraction from the Lord Jesus Christ, which is exactly why John starts with Jesus. Uh, Jesus is always just brushed aside and put on the sideline in this. But John says, if you really want to know God, if, if you want to know him, you need to know Jesus. And if you really want to know Jesus... You need to listen to us, us apostles, and their word recorded in this book. And that's what he says in verse 3, isn't it? He has these uh, twin purposes. that They're coordinate with one another. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us... And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this in order to, or to, make our joy complete. Why is John insisting on on his apostolic authority? Because he wants the remainers to remain in fellowship with him. Because he knows that if they have fellowship with him, they will have the joy of being in fellowship with God himself. <clears throat> now, parents, what is it? <clears throat> excuse me. What is it that um, all of you parents want for your kids? Well, you want them to flourish in the world, don't you? You don't want the world to sort of drag them down <clears throat> on them. You want them to flourish and. And one of the things you want is you want them to get in with the right crowd so that they're not led astray. You want them to have 
good friends who will lead them uh, well. And if they don't have that, it causes you a great deal of angst. Well, it's analogous in this sense. You see, John sees himself as a spiritual father to, these, to this Christian community. And he wants them to flourish in the world. He doesn't want them to be dragged down by the world. And so he wants them to have good influence and leading upon them. And he knows that the very best thing for them, the greatest joy in life, is to know Jesus Christ. To know the one who is eternal life. Do you know him? Because John says that is the greatest joy in life. To know that you have your sins forgiven. To know that when he died upon that cross, that he died there for you. So that you can stand before God on the final day and say, I am not guilty because he has been punished in my place for me and therefore I am accepted and welcomed. To know that the world will not overcome you because Christ has overcome the world for you. It is the greatest joy and John wants it for his Christian children. See, the big issue here isn't that people were leaving the church. The big issue is that people were leaving the apostles and therefore they were leaving Christ. That's the issue. Rob and Lucy in particular will be delighted to know that it is possible not to remain in a fellowship but to remain in fellowship with the apostles. On the other hand, it is possible to remain in a fellowship of Christian believers, but not to remain in fellowship with the apostles. And when that happens, it's an absolute nightmare because it divides the church. See, the big deal here is fellowship with the apostles. Later on in John, chapter 4, verse 5, he he writes this. We apostles are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So John doesn't begin his letter by saying, really sorry to hear about all this chaos and people leaving and stuff. He begins by putting Jesus Christ up front and central for them to see. And there's a really good reason for doing that. Because these other voices that are coming in are offering a knowledge of God apart from Jesus And so they are what John will later call them anti-Christ. They are against Christ. They're offering something instead of Christ. And the thing that John wants to fix in our hearts and minds is that knowing Jesus Christ is really everything. And if we move away from the apostles' teaching, we move away from Jesus. 
untruths in a church have eternal significance. Now, it's obviously much more subtle than this in practice. You know, when untruth is told, it could be the untruth of just distracting us from what is the most important thing, which is Jesus Christ, getting us on to other uh, discussions, maybe about the covenants or the law or spiritual gifts. That becomes the focus. Or, Or maybe it's an indirect attack on Jesus. You see, If someone's going to lead you away from Jesus, they're not going to come up to you in church and say, hey, you know what, I was was thinking the other day, that that Jesus, I don't really rate him that much. You know, if someone does that, says I don't rate Jesus, I reckon you're probably going to think, I probably shouldn't listen to that guy. But they don't do that, of course. What they do is they downplay the apostles of Jesus. And so they might say things like, well, we, we love John. He says, he says some really lovely things in his letter about love, and we, we love all that, love, love, love. But, you know, we're not quite so comfortable about some of the quite harsh things he seems to say, and maybe even against some of the Jewish people in his gospel. Or they might say, well, Paul, yeah, Paul, let's talk about Paul. 1 Corinthians 13 you know, he was, he was having a good day that day, wasn't he, when he wrote that? Magnificent. But he really was a man of his time, Paul, wasn't he? You know, when he started talking about sex and, and gender, well, we're all human, aren't we? And, and do you see there is this indirect attack on Jesus because of this direct attack upon the apostles of Jesus? the ones that he has authorised to be those who testify for him. And so if you turn from the apostles, you forfeit everything. But if you turn towards the apostles, and here is the really amazing thing, if you turn to the apostles, if you believe what the apostles say about Jesus Christ you can enter a joyful fellowship with God himself. And it is quite amazing because these are just words. They're just simple words, but what they're promising amazingly is that if you believe these words, you can have fellowship with God himself. You can have fellowship with the life who appeared. Fellowship with the eternal life who has been proclaimed to you. And you can enjoy that life. You and I can enjoy God himself and knowing him. Let me reassure you this morning that if you have fellowship with the apostolic teaching then you have fellowship with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God of love, God of light, God of life, 
We come before you this morning to say thank you that you haven't simply revealed yourself, but you have revealed yourself in a way by which we can have and enjoy fellowship with you. We thank you for the scriptures, how precious they are to us. And we thank you for the word that you left behind, giving us the data and the interpretation of the data that we need to know you. And we pray you would help us to treasure this word. And uh, we pray that we would treasure knowing you and that you would help us to recognize and turn a deaf ear to any other voices that would leave us, lead us away from Jesus and the life that is to be found in him. Amen.